The International Olympic Committee has the honor of announcing that the 22nd Olympic Winter Games in 2014 are awarded to the city of Sochi. In 2007, the Olympic Games was awarded to the Russian city of Sochi. It happened at the 119th IOC session in Guatemala City. Ever since, the Games came to be characterized as President Vladimir Putin's pet idea. In many ways, the Russian president saw the Games as an ideal opportunity to show the outside world a new face of Russia as an open, modern and attractive country. Last posters at the Sochi Olympics declared Russia Great New Open, and the state-owned Sherbank, a major sponsor of the mega-event, proclaimed the global ambitions of the event, such as today, the world tomorrow, a phase whose ominous undertones became reality between the Olympic and Paralympic Games with the invasion of Crimea. February 2014, the 22nd Winter Olympics were held in the subtropic city of Sochi in southwestern Russia, located in the western foothills of the Caucasus on the Black Sea coast close to Georgia. Indeed, the location and structure for the Olympic extravaganza were all significant in making this President Vladimir Putin's biggest international showcase to this point in his political career. From the perspective of those in power, the modern Olympics primarily function as a political event. No modern state leader will embark on such huge investments primarily on sporting grounds. National leaders predominantly view the Olympics as a political platform to provide them and their country with a positive image in the eyes of the global public. For this iteration of the Games, Putin used the Olympics as a political tool in unprecedented ways. Hi everyone and welcome to Somatic. As you just heard, we're going to be looking at the Sochi 2014 uh, Winter Olympics. Um, we're really excited to bring you this episode 
right in the middle of the FIFA World Cup that's happening in Russia uh, right now in the summer of 2018. Um, what we're hoping is that this episode will be a nice reflection point um, that can look back at some of the effects that the Sochi Games had uh, as a platform for Putin's broader political program for Russia over the last few years. And we can start to use that as a reflection point to think through potentially what this World Cup could mean for Putin um, in the initial few days, months and years and what he's going to continue to try to do um, with his politics, uh, both domestically and abroad. Um, yeah, so um, this episode, we worked with Stanis Elborg and his research partner, Andreas Yul Jeppesen. Uh, it's an exciting opportunity uh, to work with new partners uh, that came with a very different perspective from across the world over in Denmark, where they're both based. Um, Stannis and Andreas uh, really did drive the heart of this episode. They based a lot of uh, what we're going to talk about um, on some work that they both uh, did together uh, while they were at the, um, at the University of Copenhagen. Um, and that is really the basis for this episode. But uh, over, over the last uh, few months, um, we've been able to work closely uh, with them. Um, in a truly collaborative process uh, to creatively think through and work through the development of the ideas here and how we wanted to present them to you uh, in terms of the design of the episode overall and the sound and the music and all those aspects of it. And uh, we've really uh, appreciated the opportunity to work through that, you know, experience the challenges and the, uh, and the upsides of being able to develop a collaborative project. Um, and I think that's really reflected in what we have here. Uh, as I said, it, this is based on some work that Andres and Stannis did together. Uh, it's a project that is titled Dreams of Russia. To what extent and in what sense was the Olympic Games in Sochi used politically, with particular emphasis on the opening and closing ceremonies? They completed this while they were at the University of Copenhagen in the Department of Nutrition, Exercise and Sport. Um, Stannis actually continues to do some of this work, uh, and specifically focusing in on, on sports history um, through an online project that he's doing in collaboration with Professor Hans Bonder. And uh, you can actually find a link to that website in the show notes. And also, if you head over to our website at somaticpodcast.com, there's a blog post that, uh, that goes along with this episode, and we'll have all the information there. Uh, it's mostly in Danish, uh, and the title of the, of the project's in Danish. I'm not going to butcher that because I, I don't speak Danish. Um, but uh, there's a ton of resources there, whether you do or don't speak Danish, uh, to check out. Um, and if you do happen to speak Danish, it's a really, really deep resource there that's available for you. Um, so I won't uh, delay any longer. Uh, we're excited to get you this, uh, this episode and, and put it out there. And uh, I will check back in at the end. Uh, but apart from that, uh, let's get to it. The hosting of the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi was part of the broader rise to power of the Russian Federation that has taken place under the leadership of Vladimir Putin. Alongside military, political and covert actions, the Games served as a, as a public-facing form of soft power for Russia. Hosting the Games was part of asserting to the world and to his people the might of a new Russia, Putin's Russia. Indeed, as Putin described it in his own words, the selection of Sochi to host the 2014 Winter Olympics is confirmation not only of our sports and economic achievements, but also of Russia's growing international influence. Harnessing mega events for communicating a message to the world is common and has always been part of any nation's interest in playing the role of host. 
but this ideological role for events like the Olympics seems to have intensified with the interests of emerging nations, whether it is China, India, South Africa, Brazil or Russia in more recent times. And it appears their aim is simple, to showcase their economic achievements and to signal diplomatic stature or to project a form of soft power. In Russia specifically, the Olympic Games became tied up with Russia's project to regain recognition as a great global power. As Andreas Yulepsen discusses, every detail with the Sochi Games was considered towards this goal. Um, if we take a closer look at uh, Russia's ambition to, again to be a superpower in international relations, uh, the Sochi Olympics in 2014 serve as a fine example. Um, for example, we could see it in the design of the Olympics torch, which was uh, shaped like a bird's feather, as a reference to the Firebird Phoenix, uh, which symbolizes good luck and fortune in Russian folklore. Uh, but it was also a symbol of Russia's uh, resurgence as a superpower since the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Um, in fact, the torch route uh, manifested uh, Putin's superpower and geopolitical ambitions uh, as Russian climbers fought their way towards the top of uh, Europe's highest mountain, uh, named Mount Elbrus, uh, which is located in the tense region of the North Caucasus, where the Olympic flame burned until the end of the Sochi Olympics. The Olympic flame on top of Mount Elbrus and the Caucasus was a strong symbolic uh, display of Russian control and sovereignty in the region. Um, and in addition, Mount Elbrus is also a symbol uh, of the border between Asia and Europe which was also exemplified in the opening ceremony where the Ural Mountains was shown as a symbol of uh, Russia's enormous geographical uh, span across continents. Uh, further on, to manifest Putin's superpower and uh, geopolitical ambitions, the torch was sent into outer space, where two Russian cosmonauts on the 9th of November 2013 took the torch on a spacewalk outside the International Space Station, which can hardly be seen as anything else than Putin's desire, again, to be a superpower in space. Clearly, when a great power invests in hosting the Olympic Games, it is not primarily on sporting grounds, but to manifest itself on the world stage through the world's biggest media event. It is therefore no surprise that Putin appointed his close ally, the director of the state-owned TV channel 1, Konstantin Ernst, to head the team that produced the opening ceremony as executive creative director and screenwriter. If we take a closer look at the opening ceremony in Sochi 2014, the underlying structure was characterized by the following main points of significance. Showcasing the nation's past and present, Russia's importance to the international community, especially by means of its space program, and the celebration of the Russian president Vladimir Putin. The opening ceremony highlighted Russia's undeniably rich cultural heritage, particularly in music and literature. However, Putin and the organizers were obviously just as preoccupied with demonstrating that contemporary Russia is a modern and technologically advanced nation, a presumption that is more than just questionable especially if you look at Russia's still intense use of its oil and gas resources to drive heavy industry, which is at the core of its economy.
at the impressive 40,000-seat Fish Olympic Stadium, which intentionally is formed like the famous Fabergé eggs crafted for the Russian Tsarist family. The opening ceremony opened with an on-screen video showing the 11-year-old girl Lisa Tenikova playing a character named Lubov, meaning love in Russian, reciting the Russian Cyrillic alphabet. Dressed in white, the girl was presented as a symbol of innocence and represented a version of Russia's feminine soul. According to the Danish professor Hans Bond, Lubov first of all served to highlight that the Russian state wanted their country to be seen as a gentle and loving nation, soft power in its most soft sense. Each letter in the Russian Cyrillic alphabet was associated with images of a famous Russian person, landmark or invention. Many of the letters featured some of Russia's most famous writers such as Dostoevsky, Nabokov, Tolstoy, Chekhov, and countless others that have impacted Russian history, culture, literature, and philosophy. The video also showed a special homage to the Russian space program as it showed Sputnik 1, the first artificial Earth satellite, launched in 1957, and Lenokhod 1, which was the first of two unmanned lunar rovers that the Soviets got to the moon in the 1970s. And finally, we saw Solovsky, who was a Russian rocket scientist and a pioneer of the astronautic theory. The video showed both Russian art and technology. This dichotomy illustrating a desire to appeal to both the Tsarist and Soviet era, while at the same time the sequence didn't present historical personalities or historical contributions to the world after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. The segment was essentially an illustration of Russian national symbols that crafted a kind of imagined community in which all Russians were pushed to remember and commemorate the historical figures and contributions from the Tsarist and Soviet era, moments of domestic political strength, and reiterating to the world the significance of Russia's influence on global history. Lubov then flew into the air as she dreamed of grabbing the tail of a kite and being lifted far off the stage. Nine different floats carrying Russian landscapes passed beneath her as she slept. Later in the ceremony, it became clear that despite the huge investment, the Sochi ceremony wouldn't be immune to issues and mistakes. But something peculiar was also highlighted in this moment. Traditionally, the Olympic ceremony has a segment where the Olympic rings are presented. In 2014, this segment got most of the attention internationally, as it became known to the public that there were two versions of the opening ceremony, one for international viewers and one for Russian viewers. In the international version, only four of the five rings unfolded. But as the fifth ring wasn't unfolding, the producers of the Russian version cut straight to the recording of the rehearsal, and therefore the Russian viewers did not get to see the great blunder. The sequence with the Olympic rings was a clear example of the curated production and censorship that goes into the creation of this ceremony. We all got to look behind the Olympic curtain. However, the host nation showed great self-irony at the closing ceremony. The mishap from the opening ceremony where the fifth Olympic ring did not unfold was later self-mocked by the organizers in the closing ceremony where a man-made fifth ring unfolded to symbolize the failure of the opening ceremony. The Danish scholar Andres Jorl Jampson weighs in, in again for us here, responding to what it means to have two versions of that opening ceremony. Um, since we became aware that there were two versions of the opening ceremony, we uh, examined the opening ceremony in depth to see if there were more significant differences 
in the two versions. And we found that there were particularly differences in the two versions in regards uh, to the team's march. Um, in the international version, the focus was uh, largely on the athletes, while the Russian version, to a much higher degree, focused on the host uh, nation's impressive flag, the singing, singing audience with their hand uh, on their heart, and uh, the cosmonauts uh, who, for the occasion, was uh, selected to hoist the national flag. And then, especially on Putin, uh, who during uh, Russia's march uh, into the stadium appeared 10 times in the Russian version, but only four times in the international version. Um, overall, it was important that the flag was showed uh, 335 times in the Russian version, and only 117 times in the international version, which is great in line with Putin's desire of wider use of the Russian flag and also uh, listening to the national anthem, which, according to Putin, will bring the Russian citizens uh, back to a patriotic feeling, uh, especially among the younger population. Um, in regards uh, to the audience, they were also shown much more in the Russian version than in the international version. Um, here the viewers of the Russian TV uh, version could see the camera lens focus on the audience uh, 84 times, while the international viewers only saw them 21 times. Uh, this is a clear signal that the Russian state wanted to generate and national pride in form of cosmonauts and an overall sense of uh, patriotism in terms of the flag under the leadership of Putin, who in the camera lens in the uh, Russian version all, always was uh, portrayed uh, as the man in the center. Um, in the Russian version, Putin was also shown during a Latvia's uh, parade uh, in a symbolic gesture to the Russian minority in Latvia and also during the presentation of Venezuela um, as a symbol of the strong relationship between Russia and Venezuela which is uh, strongly based on military contracts. Um, and if we take a closer look at the celebration of Vladimir Putin there are clear indications that Russian viewers can tolerate a much higher degree of Putin that foreign viewers, which is reflected in the overall representation of Putin in the two version, uh, in the two versions. Um, throughout the opening ceremony, Putin in the Russian version was shown four ti uh, 40 times uh, against only 16 times in the international versions. Uh, this is as uh, simple, not only of the uh, personal cult of Putin in Russia, but also as a symbol of the Russian state's desire to show that it was Putin who got the Olympics to Russia. Clearly, despite this mistake, the agenda of the Games to be a showcase for Russian superiority and success continued on, even shaping how the Olympic torch made its way to Sochi. What can often be a relatively small part of the Olympic pomp and circumstance was elevated for these games. Prior to the Olympics, the Olympic torch was also for the first time sent into outer space by means of a Russian Soyuz 37 space rocket. 
as a sign of Putin's ambition to maintain the role of a major space power. In outer space, the Russian cosmonauts Oleg Kotov and Sergei Ryazinsky took the Olympic torch on a spacewalk outside the International Space Station. But this wasn't the end for how the ceremony would connect Russia today, sporting prowess and the historical importance of a Soviet space program. And the many reference to elite sport and space policy is a sign of the two themes new position as Putin markers for a new national greatness. But attempts to connect Putin's greatness to a number of significant national achievements didn't stop with the Soviet space program. Already, during the Cyrillic alphabet sequence early on, there was a tribute to Peter the Great, who was portrayed rather imperialistically under the words Russian Empire. With his fleet in the background, it symbolized the imperialist Tsar's first major military war victory over Turkey in 1696 which gave the Russians access to the Black Sea. In the segment, the Tsar arrived with a computer-animated navy across the stadium floor, which was transformed into the Black Sea. The navy was followed by a giant shadow of the equestrian statue of Peter the Great in St. Petersburg, and a large military choir marching past the large buildings of St. Petersburg, the birth city of Vladimir Putin. The military choir lined up while loudly guns were fired. The message here clearly being that the absolute authoritarian rule of Putin connects directly with the history of Peter the Great, a towering historical figure in Russia and a man steeped in national mythology. With Putin's subsequent activistic foreign policy in Ukraine and Syria, the portrayal of Tsar Peter the Great in this rather militaristic and imperialistic manner has become more and more obvious in retrospect to be viewed as an expression of Putin's geopolitical interest beyond their borders. But while these images obviously attempted to give Putin a historically informed relevance for claiming to rule Russia almost single-handedly today, there was little reference made to the despotic rulers of the Soviet era. Certainly abstract connection to the space program served to contribute positively to Putin's image in this display. Comparing or aligning himself with Stalin or others was seen as problematic Although that during the segment Moscow the Dream, the text Thank you Motherland for our happy childhood was written on the stadium floor, which is a slightly rewritten well-known Soviet propaganda motto in the days of Stalin's regime. Thank you dear comrade Stalin for a happy childhood. Again Andreas Julievsen developed some interesting findings when analyzing the opening ceremonies absence of the great Soviet leaders. It was no surprise that Stalin was visually absent in the opening ceremony. But in the segment Moscow the Dream, uh, Russia and its capital Moscow was almost depicted as a consumer's paradise and a regulated welfare state. Uh, whereas, of course, there was no uh, reference to the time under Stalin, the Soviet planned economy and the forced collectivization. Um, there was, uh, however, which for the most international viewers uh, was mostly hidden references to Stalin as Moscow's uh, great skyscrapers, the Seven Sisters, also known as Stalin's Seven Sisters, uh, which came up on the stage around the constructed Red Square on the stadium floor. Uh, furthermore, the viewers was presented for a giant version of the communist sculpture, The Worker and the Caucus Woman, from 1937 carrying the hammer and the sickle, uh, which is a clear reference to the Soviet society's uh, ideals. Uh, the statue is an example of the socialist uh, realism, which became very popular in the Soviet states 
and the style of the statue is also characterized by the glorification in the depiction of the uh, communist values. Um, Colchis is also pointing back to collective farms, which during the uh, industrialization was the most common form of collective agriculture, where all the profits in accordance with the common uh, communist values had to be delivered, uh, de delivered uh, to the state and uh, subsequently uh, distributed. Um, the hammer and sickle are also two main symbols of the socialist, uh, socialist time and reflects the image of the relationship between both uh, industry and agriculture as well as male and female. Um, the symbol was used throughout the Soviet era in virtually all contexts, uh, including in the national flag. Uh, it was also noteworthy that the hammer and sickle uh, occurred 12 times in the Russian version uh, of the opening ceremony and only 7 times in the international version, uh, which indicates that the symbols were more important to highlight nationality than globally. During Putin's presidency, he has been very clear in the rhetoric about the Soviet era and Russia's former greatness is best exemplified in Putin's annual address to the people in 2005, where Putin called the collapse of the Soviet Union for a major geopolitical disaster of the 20th century. In fact, there has been discussions regarding the translation of his speech and some points to the fact that the meltdown was the greatest disaster of the 20th century. In fact, the segment Moscow the Dream further reveals the nature of the message Putin is looking to send as it becomes to a close with a highly controversial moment where the little girl carries a red balloon in hand on a blue globe wearing the, her white dress. The balloon, the dress and the blue globe formed the Russian flag before Lubov was letting go of a red balloon that floated towards the sky. The immediate analysis after the opening ceremony in most Western medias was that Lubov's release of the red balloon should be seen as a definitive farewell to the Soviet era and communism. But the Danish scholar Andreas Julievesen has a somewhat different interpretation of the scene. This scene, along with the scene with the Olympic rings, was uh, definitely the most debated scene in the media after the opening ceremony. Um, it symbolizes the end of the historical and cultural features in the opening ceremony, and Lupov's release of the red balloon was, in our opinion, more symbol of hope for a bright future for Russia and the Russian people than a letting go of uh, communism. As uh, Lupov was letting go of the red balloon, she almost reposed the famous graffiti painting from London, Banksy's The Girl with the Red Balloon, containing the words, There is always hope. Um, though uh, retrospectively, the release of the balloon can also be viewed as the Russian authorities' uh, geopolitical ambitions to expand Russia's uh, territorial area with the annexation of Crimea in mind. As Andreas just told us, the scene with Lubov can be interpretive in different ways. Professor Hans Bunde also pays special attention to the little girl Lubov, but also Tsar Peter the Great when he sums up his interpretation of the opening ceremony. 
He believes that what is interpreted by many Western political authorities as an unacceptable territorial aggression that belongs to the imperial mentality of the distant Tsarist times could, on the contrary, by many Russians be seen more or less consciously as Vladimir Putin himself protecting the Russian-speaking population of the Crimean Peninsula, retrospectively seen here as the young girl Lubov. The scene depicts the young girl safely returned to her caring father. In this perspective, the Olympics become a success in internal Russian politics, where the national euphoria of the great sporting victories spills over and fuels the patriotic assembly during the annexation of the Crimea that would come just a year later. Hans Bond further notes that if cultural propaganda is to show a smiling and friendly face that masks more sinister tendencies to expand your borders and thus setting aside international law, then the Sochi Olympics served as a perfect example. To celebrate Lubov as the true soul of Russia was hardly showing the true face of Vladimir Putin. In the end, Lubov was overshadowed by the militant and expansionist Tsar on horseback. As presented in this episode, the Olympic opening ceremony obviously works as a form of cultural propaganda for the host country. In this respect, the high-tech opening ceremony in Sochi 2014 followed the tradition. The opening ceremony gave the Russian state free opportunities to showcase both for the Russian people and the world that Russia holds great traditions and has made great contributions to the world. The Russian state used the opening ceremony to send political and national messages that varied, one to the national audience and the second to the international audience. This was particularly reflected in the representation of Putin, who appeared 40 times in the national version compared to only 16 times in the international version. Also, as we have talked about, there is a clear difference in the representation of historical symbols, the national flag and the audience. The large differences indicate that the Russian state wanted to influence and strengthen the national identity among the Russian people in an imagined community with a strong tribute to the Tsarist and Soviet era, where the focus was largely on productivism, while the political parts of Soviet communism were dimmed. There was also special focus on Russia's historic contribution to the world community, where Russia's major historical, cultural and especially their contribution in space technology to the world community was highlighted. The Russian space program had a major role with pictures from space of cosmonauts and inventions in space technology appearing throughout the opening ceremony, and these were presented in a close relationship with elite sport performances as two of Putin's new markers of national pride. The centerpiece of the ceremony was Russia's historical and current greatness, which both played on soft values as love, diversity and openness, and at the same time presented itself historically through more hard values in the image of a strong militaristic and geopolitical power. In national terms, this served to create an imagined community with great focus on Russia as a global power in international relations. With the Crimean crisis in mind, it would in a Western perspective appear more likely that it is the hard expressions of the ceremony that are most evident. The Russian state created a coherent history and remembrance tale, and it can be concluded that there appears a duality in the ceremony. On one hand, the ceremony creates a soft picture historically through the main character Lubov, and on the other hand, it conveys a tougher expression with an underlying great power ambition, exemplified in Tsar Peter the Great. Possible gained soft power was shattered by Putin's annexation of Crimea while the legacy of the Sochi Olympics in 2014 in a Western view will remain as the prelude, a Russian state who is left out of the world's political community.
Well, that's the episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we really want to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, I also want to take a second. I haven't done this in a little while, but I also want to thank uh, Springfield College for their help uh, in making Somatic. Um, all the equipment that we used was, uh, was funded uh, by Springfield College, and, and they've been a great support throughout, uh, uh, throughout the development of the show. Uh, we want to thank Stannis and Andreas. Uh, their contributions uh, to this episode were fundamental. Really, this is their show, uh, this episode, and, and we were just here to help. Um, again, a great working relationship with both of them. Um, it's been a lot of fun to push, uh, to push the show in a new direction to see what we can really do uh, with, with uh, contributors. If you want to put, uh, put together an episode with us, we are really uh, looking for people to work with. We're excited to work with lots of different people. Any topic um, we're open to. So if you've got some work going on or you're interested in developing something, reach out, give us a shout. Um, somaticpodcast.gmail.com is our email. Or you can head to our website at somaticpodcast.com and you can get in contact uh, with us there. We're also on Twitter at Somatic Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can do it there as well. Um, apart from that, we got another few episodes coming up over the uh, summer and into the fall. Um, so keep an eye out for those. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you on the next time. This has been Somatic. <laughs>